0: What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the program. It is not your average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can follow the podcast on Spotify. Uh, Give us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts if you uh, do so desire. Um, You can also follow the social pages on Twitter and on Facebook for the latest updates. On the podcast. So I uh, want to quickly, before we get going, extend a thank you to uh, Nick Perinick for coming back on the uh, podcast, coming back on Guest Friday last week. A uh, nice conversation that we had about the uh, state of the Bruins off season. We'll definitely talk uh, a little bit about the Bruins uh, later in the podcast as there's uh, some things to get into. Obviously, Nick and I talked about most of the off-season activity you know we'll talk a little bit more about that this week um as i said on both twitter and on facebook got a special announcement uh coming later in terms of uh, what we're doing for this week's guest friday i think you guys will really enjoy that um but i think you know without further ado we'll just uh we'll just get going so you know it's uh (laughs) Interesting time being a uh, Boston sports fan right now. The uh, one uh, local team that's kind of, you know, playing pretty meaningful games right now. Uh, the Red Sox, well, actually not at the current moment because the All-Star break is um, has come for uh, the Red Sox in Major League Baseball, and um, it probably could not come at a better time for this Red Sox team that are really um, kind of at a crossroads um, at this point. Um, you know, it is interesting with the All-Star break being um, about a week later than it usually is. I'm not really sure why that is, but, you know, the trade deadline you know is a lot closer to the All-Star break than it usually is. You know, I it, think usually it's almost three weeks. You know, now it's kind of more like two. You know, the trade deadline is um, August 2nd this year, and the Red Sox are coming into this All-Star break playing probably some of the worst baseball that they've played all year. And um, long gone, you know, is that run of great baseball that they were playing that put themselves back in contention, uh, you know, in second place in the division and up a couple games in the wild card chase. And, you know, that, that, that stretch has kind of faded away. The Red Sox have um, just kind of sputtered through these last couple weeks. You know, we talked about a few weeks ago that this – You know stretch of 14 straight games against the yankees and the rays were going to be huge you know and i think looking at you know how how they would want to do in those 14 games to be considered a team that you know is a force to be reckoned with you know and i think the thought was like okay you have to go at least 500 against against you have to go at least 500 in these 14 games you know You win seven games, you win eight games, you win nine games. You could feel good about yourself. Um, But obviously, you know, the stretch has come and gone. The Red Sox won four games and, you know, went four and 10 in that stretch. And, you know, everything going wrong from offense not being able to drive in runs at key moments, um, the defense having major deficiencies, especially at first base, um, you know, pitching. Issues in the bullpen, especially, and then injuries to the starting rotation that, you know It's all snowballed, you know, everyone has gotten hurt Um, And then you get Chris Sale coming back into the rotation pitched well in his first game And his first game back, you know, bullpen blows the lead blows the game and it kind of doesn't make you feel good about that start and then lo and behold Chris Sale pitches Sunday afternoon And he takes an Aaron Hicks line drive off his pinky and, you know, broke it. He had surgery. And he's out four to six weeks at least. And I think, I'll be honest, worst case scenario is he's out for the rest of the year. And we don't see him pitch until spring training. And it's a really scary thought. And it's an unfortunate thought because, you know, you saw how hard he kind of worked back, worked to get back to, where he wanted to be, and yet this freak injury that, you know, sets him back that there's probably a decent chance that he doesn't pitch again this year. You know, maybe there's an off chance that he could pitch at the tail end of the season um, and into the playoffs, you know, if that is where the Red Sox end up. But I think based on how they played lately, you know, the four-game sweep to Tampa Bay, losing two out of three to the Yankees in which they gave up, you know... Uh, 27 runs in two games on um, Saturday and Sunday. It doesn't exactly make you feel good about this team going forward. And you know, losing Sale, losing a reliable starter, um, you're already down a couple of starters. You know, it was good to see Nathan Navaldi come back on Friday and pitch pretty well, but you're really thin. You know, and you have a bullpen that is now starting to become a major problem. Um, you know, I think that. They had pitched all right for a majority of the first half of the season but it really seems like over the last month or so uh, they've had so much trouble holding leads and this team is making mistakes that you shouldn't be making you know making mistakes running into outs on the base paths you know things like that and it's just like it seems like everything has come apart uh, for this team and i think you know you try to maybe see the optimistic side that okay maybe this break has come at a good time, and they can kind of reset. They don't have a lot of games against the division in the next few weeks, but, you know, they're going to be loaded with division games from kind of the middle of August until the end of the season. And it's like, when you look at their record, 12-26 and 26 against the American League East, it doesn't make you feel good that this team can be a playoff team, you know? And I think unless something drastically changes in the way that they've played against the division, I can't really see them being a playoff team, you know, and I think that it's, you're still close enough in the in the, in the the chase that, you know, if you go on a little bit of a run, kind of like you did a couple months ago, you can put yourself in a good position, but it's just, there's not really a lot about this team that makes you feel like they're capable um, of going on a run like that, and I think... Some of it has to do with health, but I think some of it has to do with, you know, guys just not playing well. You know, you look at the guys at first base, you look at, you know, what they're not getting offensively from certain spots in the lineup. You know, even the guys that are kind of the big hitters, you know, Martinez, Devers, Bogarts, you know, a couple of those guys, their home runs are down, you know, their extra base hits are down, and it's kind of just like... There's not a whole lot of things that you can feel confident about uh, with this team going forward, you know, sitting at 48 and 45 and a team that's a couple games out of the wild card. And sure, there are some teams that are ahead of you or in the mix that have, you know, won a crazy game, crazy amount of games in a row. You know, Seattle is, I think, 114 straight. The Orioles, 111 straight at some point. And so it's like, okay. You have some teams that have just gotten extraordinarily hot at the right time. And, you know, maybe the Red Sox can be one of those teams, but when you consider the injuries, especially to the rotation, you know, Michael is still not back, you know, Rich Hill's still out. You've had to throw in a lot of young guys who I think, ideally, you wouldn't have wanted them to pitch at all this season. Um, but it just has kind of come with the territory that The red sox are now dealing with major injuries and they're having to throw out a lot of you know young starters and young guys who don't have much experience with you know cutter crawford josh Winkowski, brian Bayo, who's had a tough time in his first two starts i don't really think it's anything to be concerned about him long term but it's just you're asking a lot with this kid who is your you know probably your top pitching prospect it's asking a lot to have him come in and pitch Against Tampa Bay and the Yankees in these high, high pressure games, high leverage situations, and you're asking him to pitch lights out, and that's a lot to ask for a young kid who's never pitched in majors before. So, you know, it's it's a really it's a tough spot, and unfortunately, some of it they've put themselves in this spot by not playing well enough, and you know, not being able to, you know, consistently get big outs from their bullpen and get big hits from their from their bats it's just it's just it's interesting because it's like you felt actually pretty good after Friday night's game the Red Sox stole a game in New York and you thought okay maybe they can move on from this sweep in Tampa Bay win a couple games against the Yankees and it just all comes apart and then got a lot worse when Sale gets hurt um, on Sunday so you know I think with Sale it's I think, you know, if you're being optimistic, maybe he returns at some point late in September, gives you a couple of starts, you know, four to six weeks. If you kind of do that math in your head, you know, four weeks is about a month. So that's, you know, at least until the at least until the middle of August. Six weeks, you know, takes you into September. But that's not even including rehab starts, which he most likely will have to make, but you know, I think best case scenario he could return in the last week of the season. You use him, you ride him to see if you can get into the playoffs, or you know if they're out of the if they're out of contention by that point. It obviously doesn't make sense to have him come back and pitch again. But who knows? Um, I think that obviously with the trade deadline as close to the All Star game as it is, you know, it kind of makes you think. How do the Red Sox approach the trade deadline and? based on how they played in these last fourteen games, does it change the way that they approach the trade deadline? You know, does it change the approach in that you know, with the trade deadline's so close, it changes the approach that you know, do you now think that maybe your team is not quite good enough to compete? And do you sell off some guys? You know, do you sell some guys that are going to be unrestricted free agents um, at the end of the season? Um, you know, your these, your uh, Christian Vasquez, your uh, J.D. Martinez, you know, some of those guys. Do you think about moving some of those guys? Because I think, to be honest, even if the Red Sox do compete, I don't know if some of those guys are going to return next year. Um, you know, I think Aldi clearly he still does have some ability, but the drawback with him is he's had some injuries. You know, he's every single year he's been with the Red Sox, he's had some type of injury during the year or in the postseason. And I think, you know, does it does it? You know, how do you approach it? And I think, you know, if this Red Sox team if they decide that maybe they're out of it by the time the All Star break hits, or by the time the trade deadline hits do you see them moving some guys like that you know i think i don't know if vivaldi returns next year i don't know if jd martinez does Um, you know vasquez i'm not really sure you know i think and you know bogarts obviously there's the there's the issues with his you know contract where he has an opt-out at the end of the year and You know, it's all in all likelihood he will opt out to try to get a more, um, to try to get a richer contract. And I think, you know, if the Red Sox are not going to pay him, which it's kind of hard to know, um, if they're not going to pay him, does it make sense to think about trading him? You know, and I know that that's a crazy thought, but, you know, if this team is really going to move on from him the way that it's kind of, um, the way that it's kind of trending, you know, with the contract talks and things like that. You know, I think he said yesterday with the media availability um, at the All-Star game that there's not been any conversation about his extension. Um, I also think that it might have something to do with his agent, that it's something that they don't want to be discussing during the season because maybe they see it as a distraction. I kind of tend to agree with that because they think, you don't want a contract talk to be going on during the season because it's like your focus should be playing, should be playing. Your focus should not be on a potential new contract. And that's just my opinion. Some people probably disagree with that, but I think, you know, it's kind of a wait and see. But I think, you know, if they come out of this all-star break and, you know, they have 10 or so games before the, before the trade deadline... You know, do they, do they do something major? You know, do they start selling off some of these guys that I mentioned and try to kind of do a, a hard reset, which I know is probably going to upset a lot of people, but it could be the direction that they're looking. Um, there could be an argument, though, that they're not— maybe, they, maybe they're not going to be out of it. You know, this is a team that has proven that they can do really well against teams outside of the division. You know, you look at the 10 games, they have a four-game set against Cleveland, three-game set against Milwaukee. They do play Toronto right out of the gate, but, you know, it could this team really be far back enough that you sell? And I think maybe you don't. You know, maybe you think that this team can turn it around um, and, you know, they can use this break to their advantage. Um, but I think based on what you've seen lately it's hard to be that optimistic when you've seen how they've performed or, you know, haven't performed against uh, the best teams in the division and teams that you're going to be battling the rest of the season and teams you would be battling, you know, in the postseason if in theory you get there. Um, so it's, it's really a, it's a hard spot to be in because it's not obvious about what their thought process should be at the trade deadline. Um, you know, obviously, Hey, If they come out and they win 8 out of 10, they win 9 out of 10, they do something crazy, then I think at that point you would say, okay, we want to add to this team. We think that we can try to compete and you kind of just go from there. Um, I don't think it's going to be that simple. And I don't think, I think it's going to be something in between. They go five and five, six and four, and they're going to be in a similar spot. And then you really have to, if you're going to sell, you're taking a huge gamble. Um, If you buy, you're also taking a gamble, too, because, you know, you don't want to buy and then end up missing the playoffs. But, you know, it could be that maybe this team just needs a shot in the arm. You acquire a Josh Bell to play first base. You acquire someone else in the outfield that can give you more consistent um, offensive numbers. You know, you add some arms in the bullpen. You know, I think if you do something similar... what you did last year you know make a little small moves and you hope that they can um, that they can help you you know and then you see what you can do once you get to the playoffs because hey you never know if you get into the tournament in baseball you never know you can always go on a run you know there are teams that have done you know very poorly at times during their seasons and then they get to the playoffs and they switch and and they just you know flip a switch so you know i don't really think it's an obvious Direction as to what that what they should do. I mean, I think in my opinion You're probably better off trying to do something similar to last year where you make some moves to try to compete But you don't make any trades that you know You don't sell the farm, you know, you don't do something crazy, you know, you don't try to Throw your entire organization at the nationals to try to get Juan Soto Um, I don't think you do something like that, but you try to do something like last year when you got Kyle Schwarber and you got some other bullpen pieces that actually did pretty well for you down the stretch and into the postseason. So they could do something like that. You know, I think unless things get really, really bad, this team goes two and eight or worse out of the all out of the All Star break, then I think you might think about making some major moves to sell some guys that you don't believe are coming back after the season. Um, so. That's going to be interesting to see. We'll come back to the schedule in just a moment. Well, actually, I did kind of just talk about it. So I think we'll just move on for a second, or we'll move on in a second. So the Red Sox, obviously, three-game set against Toronto. So all these games out of the break are at home. The Red Sox have a 10-game homestand. July or uh, Friday is their first game out of the All-Star break, a three-game set. Against Toronto, then Cleveland comes into town, um, and then the Red Sox will play the Milwaukee Brewers next weekend, and then they go to Houston for a couple games, and that will be when the trade deadline is. Trade deadline is August second. Hoping that we can get a guest in here on the Guest Friday in the next few weeks to talk about the trade deadline and you know either what the Red Sox should do or maybe a recap of what they did do so. Definitely will keep you posted on that. Just kind of looking at the offseason, it just was something I wanted to try to look at um, in terms of guys who are free agents. You got Martinez, you got Ivaldi, you got Vasquez, as I mentioned. Kike um, Hernandez is an unrestricted free agent. Can't imagine that he returns. Um, he's been dealing with a hip injury um, and I think was trying to come back on a rehab assignment, but I believe had a setback. So I don't think we're going to be seeing him um, anytime soon. Kevin Ploiecki, Rich Hill, Michael Waka, just some other guys that are um, unrestricted free agents going into the offseason. I know that that's a long ways away, but it's not, a, it's not necessarily a bad idea just to go look at it and just kind of get an idea of some guys that potentially could the Red Sox move some of those guys. I mean, you're probably not moving a Waka or a Hill or any of those guys that you have on like a one or two year deal. But I think there's a legitimate, there's a legitimate thought that if the team is really in a bad way at the trade deadline, that you could trade avaldi, you could trade JD Martinez and worst case scenario, maybe it, maybe you have to consider trading Bogarts, um, you know, if if the Red Sox are not going to sign him, which is kind of a whole nother thing that we could get into. But I think that that is going to take way too much of our time uh, to get into that, you know, and then obviously talking about Devers too. But, you know, I think that's a conversation for another day. Uh, The Red Sox have also been active in Uh, the Major League Baseball draft that's, I think, going on currently. The Red Sox have made— just going to do some math here— Red Sox have made um, 11 draft picks in the draft so far. I believe that it is still going on. Uh, The Red Sox drafting Mikey Romero with their first-round pick, 24th overall. He is a shortstop from California. Six one one seventy five. 175. Then the Red Sox drafted another shortstop also from California, Cutter Coffee. So, you know, not thinking that we're seeing any of these guys in the majors anytime soon. But, you know, just kind of interesting that the Red Sox addressing shortstop. They also drafted a shortstop with their uh, first overall, or their first pick last year, fourth. Uh, Marcelo Meyer, I believe, was the fourth overall pick. Um so, you know, I don't not really sure what that means necessarily. You know, I think typically when you look at the major league major league baseball draft, I think typically it's more often than not it is a you know, best player available type of thing, but it's a lot less about team needs because a lot of these guys you know will go and play college baseball or you know will play minor league baseball and they'll be you know years away from contributing at the major league level so oftentimes you're taking the best player you know I don't know if it tells you that the Red Sox are thinking about shortstops of the future but I think um, it is kind of interesting that their last two drafts, they've taken shortstops with their first picks. Um, but you know again, it'd be interesting to see their development in college baseball or major league or minor league baseball. Um, so I think that will probably do it for the Red Sox. The uh, Bruins have been uh, fairly active in free agency. Uh, we're moving on to hockey. Um, obviously, a lot of this information you may have, may have already heard on the Guest Friday. If you haven't listened to the Guest Friday with Nick Peronick, I'd recommend you go and listen. Um, But, yeah, you can uh, do something else with your time if you've already heard the hockey stuff from last week. But uh, the Bruins have been active, maybe not necessarily the uh, right way of being active in some people's people's eyes, I guess. Um, But the Bruins have been pretty active. They've signed a number of guys to... Uh, Two-way contracts, made a couple of moves on the first day of free agency. Uh, We'll obviously talk about the trade um, for Pavel Zaka. We'll talk about that in a moment. But some of the signings that the Bruins made on day one of free agency, giving contracts to uh, Vinny Letieri, Connor Carrick, A.J. Greer, Keith Kincaid, and Daniel Renouf. Um, So all of these players signed two-way contracts except for um, H.A. Greer. So the Bruins, you know, I think with this thought that I think filling out some organizational needs because, you know, yes, it's uh, an organization and it's not just the Bruins that are making these signings. So um, I think some people were maybe upset that they made the moves that they did but it's like they do have an organization that they have to fill out that their organizational needs in providence but also you know guys that could spend you know partial time in boston potentially Um, connor Carrick, especially you know he's a guy that has almost 250 games of nhl experience Uh, played last year with seattle played previously with the devils Um, he's a guy that i think you could see get maybe some minutes at right side because the Bruins are obviously going to be without Charlie McAvoy to start the season. Um, I think he's a guy that I could pinpoint that you could see plenty in the NHL. Um, AJ Greer is also someone that I think you could see in Boston too. Uh, I was a second pick of Colorado in, I think it was 2015 or 2016. Um, I think he brings a pretty good kind of you know, physical kind of gritty type of play. So that's going to be interesting to see what he can bring. Um, so, you know, not really any major names. You know, I think if you consider the Bruins in their current cap situation, there's not really much that they can do in terms of signing, you know, a major free agent like a Johnny Gaudreau or any of those guys that signed big contracts on the first day or first days of free agency. So, you know, I think that, As I said, you know, Carrick and Greer, you probably see them with the Bruins at various points this year. Um, It'll be interesting to see how they look Um, in training camp. These are a lot of guys that probably will play a lot in preseason. Um, And they're just going to be guys that I think are going to be good pieces, maybe for Providence. But, you know, you see what they can do at the NHL level. Um, The Bruins also announced um, contracts for Jack O'Shawn and Matt Philippe yesterday signing both of them to two-way contracts they were both restricted free agents So the bruins come to agreements with both of those guys as sean you've seen a little bit with the bruins played a couple games last year had his first career goal i think he's a guy that you definitely see playing some games for the bruins um, in the early part of the year with you know the injuries especially on defense you know i think he's a decent player you know reminds people a lot of tory krug based on his size his skating ability, and kind of some of his offensive skill. Um, So I'm curious to see what you can see from him. Uh, Philippe, obviously a four-year player at Northeastern. has played a little bit in Providence over the last two years. Has not played in the NHL, but you could possibly see him make a jump. And then the Bruins signing Ryan Mast, sixth-round pick last year to an entry-level deal. Um, So you likely will see him in Providence for most of the season. Maybe you see him in training camp with the Bruins. You could see him in some preseason games. Um, Probably doesn't make the roster. Be very surprised if you see him at all with the Bruins this year. But it is very interesting. You know, he's a guy who's 19. The Bruins, you know, really like him and like him enough to give him that entry-level deal. So kind of interested to see what he can do um, if we see him in training camp and maybe in some preseason games. The Bruins also... I mentioned the uh, trade for Pavel Zaka from the New Jersey Devils. Um, And as I said to Nick on Guest Friday, I think I really like this trade. Uh, The Bruins moving Eric Halla for uh, Zaka. You know, Zaka is a decent forward. You know, this guy's a sixth overall pick in 2015. Hasn't quite lived up to his uh, draft spot. You know, I think there are a lot of people that think he perhaps was maybe overdrafted uh, at sixth overall. But I think he's a good, solid, you know, kind of middle six performer. Had 36 points last year, which was a career high. So, you know, curious to see where he fits in. He's a guy who can play center, but he can also play wing. Um, I think you likely are going to see him at wing to start the year. Um, You know, you could see him on the top line, could potentially see him on... Uh, The third line with Charlie Coyle, I mean, I think that's ideally playing with Charlie Coyle is probably what's going to happen with Zaka, who, you know, has some talent. You know, I don't think that he's not a talented player. You know, I think perhaps he could, you know, unlock something with the Bruins. You know, you've seen time and time again that there are a lot of players the Bruins have brought in over the years that, maybe don't do as well in other places, but they come to the Bruins and really, you know, kick it up a notch. And I think that has a lot to do with the Bruins kind of culture and their leadership. So I'm curious to see um, if we see a little bit more from Zaka. And obviously, you look at those numbers, you know, it's not anything that's going to really shock you. 36 points, 15 goals, 21 assists, but you know, you have him playing on the third line. He's going to give you more offensively than Trent Frederick. So I think you know, you're going to take that stat line as a third-liner. You're going to take that any time. Um, and he's a guy who I think he could play top-line minutes and probably someone that could benefit with playing with a Patrice Bergeron, you know, assuming that he returns. Um, or a David Krejci, if he does indeed return. You know, he's a guy who is familiar with Boston. You know, spends his summers here and um, has spent time on uh, Czech national teams with Jakob Saborl and David Pasternak. So a guy that's familiar with Boston, familiar with some of the players. Um, he also is uh, going to salary arbitration um, to possibly get a new uh, one-year deal. So he is, a, he is a restricted free agent, making 2.25 million over the last three seasons. So he probably is due for a raise. The Bruins currently have about 4.5 million dollars in cap space so you're likely going to see Zaka making more than a little maybe a little more than 3 million so the Bruins obviously are kind of in a cap crunch I still think that it's possible that you see someone else get traded whether it's a Mike Riley or Craig Smith or a Tomas Nosek um, because I think you still need some space if you are really going to bring back uh, david Krejci. if you want to bring back uh, patrice bergeron um, you're going to need a little bit of space um, but i think overall i really like the trade i like the move for a young forward um, a guy who i think could fit really well in with the bruins you know he's still kind of on the younger side and i think is someone that jim montgomery can work with and tap into and maybe get more out of um get more out of zaka as a player than maybe Coaches in New Jersey did or didn't. So I'm curious to see where that goes. You know, obviously, the major uh, kind of not issue, but major thing that Bruins fans are thinking about is uh, the potential return of Patrice Bergeron, um, David Krejci as well. You know, I think it's interesting that the Bruins have had good kind of communication with both of those guys. You know, I think Krejci was in Boston recently um spending some time in the area you know presumably maybe to talk with sweeney meet with the bruins but you know obviously there's nothing set in stone as i said on guest friday you know i don't think that i'm really necessarily worried about patrice bergeron not signing or signing or whatever you know i think that obviously there are some conflicting reports recently about you know him coming back him finalizing a deal um and then a report that he's not ready to make his decision, you know. So it's kind of hard who to believe, to be perfectly honest, but I'm not imagining that the Bruins are trading someone like Eric Holla um, if they don't have a plan at center. You know, I think that Halla, in terms of what he did last year, performed pretty well, um, I think performed up to or even past expectation. Um, and I think You know, for most of your season, he was the number two center. And look, the Bruins are not going to be trading a number two center unless they have another plan, which presumably is to bring Bergeron back, presumably is to bring David Krejci back. So I think that honestly, it's just a matter of time before both of these guys sign. You know, I think that they're working with both of those guys to figure out, you know, what what type of incentives, performance bonuses and all that. Um, because I think you could see the Bruins signing both of those guys for very, you know, small small, uh, small amounts of money, but loading in, you know, performance bonuses and things like that. Um, so, again, I don't really think it's anything to be concerned about. Um, one of the things I am interested about, though, is David Pasternak. Um, you know, it seemed like the Bruins were, you know, going to have an aggressive mindset to try to sign him to a new contract. We've not really heard anything recently, so I'm not exactly worried. I don't really think that he's going anywhere. You know, I think it's another one of these matter-of-time type of things where the Bruins are just trying to work with him on a good number um, for presumably signing an eight-year extension to stay with the Bruins. Um, You know, I don't think there's really any credence to... Him wanting to not be with the Bruins, you know, I think it's pretty clear that, you know, he wants to be here. The Bruins, you know, front office obviously would like him to be here. Um, I don't really think that it's anything to be concerned about, but, you know, you know, Bruins fans, it's kind of it's kind of difficult for some people to, um, you know, be 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 patient. Um, I'm just gonna say that. Um, So those are just kind of thoughts that I have on those three guys. Um, You know, I think that, again, I'm not really concerned about Bergeron. You know, I think that there's the idea that he'll probably return and maybe he's just working on, you know, contract details. But, you know, it could also be, and I talked about this last week, that it could also be something similar to, you know, the Bruins maybe sign him closer to training camp and, you know, see what they can do with the cap space that they have to try to get creative and possibly bring in more talent to kind of help surround um, Bergeron and Krejci, assuming that they're coming back. Um, but again, I I really just think it's a matter of time before the Bruins get contracts with all three of these guys to give Pasta a new deal. They give Krejci and Bergeron you know, small deals to uh, return. And I think that, yes, clearly it's not the best scenario that the bruins are in um in terms of next season but it's like they kind of don't have any other better options you know the cap situation is what it is and it's really kind of their best hope to bring back Krejci and bergeron on you know small deals and just run it back for another season and then you deal with next season however you deal with it but you know this is a team that would walk into next off season with about 24 25 million in cap space Obviously that will change with Pasternox extension, which, you know, could possibly get up into double digits per year. So obviously that would change, but I think you have a number of guys who are on the last year of their contracts. So you know, you have a little bit more room to play with next summer. So kind of curious to see what happens. Um, just some other thoughts about the Bruins obviously held their development camp last week. I was uh, lucky enough to go on uh, Tuesday with Sean Montgomery, a friend of the program, um, and the two of us were uh, really impressed with uh, Georgie Markalov, the Bruins' um, college signing or college free agent signing uh, last spring out of Ohio State. Um, I think put up, I think put up at put up like twenty or so goals. Uh, for Ohio State last year, Bruin signed him to um, an entry-level deal. I thought that, very the both of us thought that he looked really good. Uh, it was really good to kind of see him in person. Uh, good to see Mark McLaughlin in person. He looks he looked really good. Um, Todd Gallagher, I also was impressed with what I saw from him. Bruins' seventh-round pick last year from Boston University. So it was a nice experience, you know, fun to go see some of the drills, um, And I think, I know that it's, you know, maybe not the best state of affairs in the Bruins organization at the moment, Um, but I think that there are a lot of guys to possibly be excited about. Um, You know, Johnny Beecher was there. I'm curious to see what he can do this season Um, as he also signed his entry-level deal earlier in the spring. So possibility that maybe you see him in Boston at some point this year. Um, You know, you're likely going to see some of these guys in preseason games Um, but really impressed with some of those guys that I mentioned. Um, The Bruins also um, announced that they um, are hiring Danielle Marmer as player development and scouting assistant. Uh, She was on the ice at uh, development camp. Adam McQuaid was there too. Some other uh, coaches in uh, Bruins player development um, I think that was just a really cool thing to see. You know, I think it's a about time that we get, you know, some, you know, fresh perspectives in uh, organizations in hockey. And so I think it was uh, just great to see the Bruins making that making that um, announcement, and then you know seeing her in action and working with some of the guys um, that are going to be presumably a big part of their future. Um, in the next few years so I thought that that was really cool Um, but again great uh, great time going to development camp it's always a fun fun experience you know it's just is such a great location that the Bruins have um, at Warrior Ice Arena you know it's a great place you can go and watch the prospects you know also the Bruins training camp in September um, around the preseason is always open to the public I've gone a couple times really cool um, environment, getting to see some of the guys um, in practice. Sean and I were also lucky to uh, catch Charlie Coyle doing some skating after the uh, prospects had finished. Did some skating, some shooting with the skills coach. So uh, that was cool to see Charlie get on, get out on the ice, and uh, get some presumably getting some extra work in um, in the summer. So I think that's probably going to do it for. Uh, The Bruins are going to get to the Celtics, who uh, wrapped up Summer League the other night, losing to the Brooklyn Nets. But I think it was a pretty successful uh, Summer League for some of the Celtics players, um, or Celtics Summer League players, I should say, um, because not all of them are uh, currently on the roster, although the Celtics uh, did give two-way contracts to J.D. Davison um, and Mifondu Cavangeli, who uh, was announced to be part of the summer league roster at the start. Um, And the Celtics saw or really liked what they saw from him in summer league. And they gave him a two-way deal as well. So obviously the Celtics really liked what Davidson did. I mean, the bits that I watched um, make me feel good about his development. You know, I think the Celtics are a good, solid organization that can work with some of their young players, you know, work out the kinks. Uh, with someone like davison who is a really good you know high energy type of player but he's still kind of raw and still needs to develop those nba skills but i really liked what i saw from him in some games had double digit assists in a couple games Um, really impressed with his ability to be a really good energetic player Um, you know had one game where he knocked down five or six threes you know i don't think that that's necessarily the strongest part of his game, but I think if the Celtics can develop him into a little bit more of an effective shooter, I think he would become a lot more of a dangerous player. Um, You know, already has good defensive instincts, plays with uh, some really good energy, you know, kind of reminded me a little bit of Aaron Neesmith, um, the way that he would hustle. So I'm excited uh, to see what Davison can do, um, possibly playing in some preseason games. Uh, will probably play the majority of his season next year in Maine, but maybe you see him with the Celtics um, at some point. You know, same thing with Kevin Gelly He's kind of a a big you know, guy that played um at Florida State. Is a guy who has good ability, has the ability to shoot. You know, he can stretch the floor. Kind of gives you similar to what Al Horford gives you. Um, is a solid defender, solid rebounder, can you know obviously shoot from the outside. So. I'm curious to see what the Celtics see in him. I don't think that you're going to see him playing major minutes necessarily. Um, you know, he'll probably be a guy that plays in kind of toward the end of some blowouts. But I'm curious to see you know what he can do with the Celtics um, as the preseason gets closer. I would imagine the preseason is probably some point in September. But he'll definitely be someone interesting to watch. Um, as I mentioned, Davison, I think the Celtics really liked what he did in summer league. Juwan Beguerra and the Celtics also uh, really liked what he brought. You know, I think again, similar to Davison, has some really good energy. Um, but I think you saw a little bit more of his offensive skill set in summer league. You know, his ability to get to the basket, uh, draw contact. You know, a guy that's not afraid to kind of go into the lane and get fouled or you know make a play for himself or make a play for someone or make a play for himself or someone else. Um, Matt Ryan I think also had a good uh, shooting performance in the summer league obviously had that uh, game-winning three against the Bucks. Um, you know he's a guy that I think it was really neat to kind of hear his story about how he was literally a driver for for DoorDash you know over a year ago and you know gets this opportunity with the Celtics and you know, played in Summer League. I wouldn't be surprised if the Celtics are giving him or trying to give him a guaranteed contract for next season. Really liked what he, what he did in Summer League. You know, he's another guy that, similar to Sam Hauser, you know, is a guy that's a good shooter. And, you know, I think this Celtics team uh, can use all the good shooters that they can get even with the addition of Danilo Gallinari and uh, Brogdon. And then speaking of, you know, the two guys that the uh, Celtics have brought in this offseason, uh, they were formally introduced last week. You know, Malcolm Brogdon especially, you know, talked a lot about sacrifice and you know, he's coming here to be a part of a hopefully a championship team and you know, it's about sacrifice and about trying to win. And I think that it really speaks to him as a player, but also it speaks to him as a person that I think He's someone that's going to fit into this Celtics team so well, um, and not just his ability on the basketball court, but his just ability to be a leader and be someone that the younger guys look up to. That you know he's a guy that can take a leadership role when the situation calls for it, and can be someone that can take pressure off of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart late in games. That he's someone that they can go to and feel confident about when he has the ball. So I think someone like him with his ability and his ability offensively um, coming in, talking about sacrifice, I think is really important because, you know, he's a guy that could come in and think he should be started, you know, and he would be like, okay, I'm coming to this team. I'm gonna just do what's best for me. But I think he has shown the ability to be a great team player throughout his career. And I think... Stepping into that sixth-man role is just gonna make this team So much more dangerous and obviously, you know, the rub on him is his ability To stay healthy and I think that's really the biggest thing but if he can stay healthy, you know, and this team can play the way that It's expected. There's no reason to believe this team couldn't win 60 games next year Um, and Gallinari, I think also is just a perfect addition to this team and okay yeah he's not a great defender but he fills a need and he fills the need of being a shooter and a scorer off the bench which is something the celtics desperately you know need and i think you clearly saw the issues that they had in the finals that they didn't have another player to bring it off the bench that could just be an automatic 12 15 points off the bench so really excited to see what he can do you know obviously it's neat to learn about him growing up and watching larry bird and you know the story of uh him getting drafted by the knicks and then the knicks sending him tapes of larry bird that he watched when he was a kid it just is so cool uh, to hear about that sort of thing so excited to see what both of these guys can do for the celtics in the upcoming season i do believe that the nba schedule um, is coming out at some point so we will definitely keep you guys posted on that. So now we're going to move on to the revolution and it's uh it's more of the same. It's kind of more of the same. You know, it's uh similarly as frustrating talking about this team as it is talking about the Red Sox currently and you know, I I hate to be that person that you know has to Just say, oh, it's the same issues, but kind of is the same issues. You know, if you've watched this team play over the majority of the season and especially the last couple of weeks, the Revs have blown a lot of games and, you know, blowing games, not getting, you know, the amount of points that they should get, you know, not being able to hold leads, um, and just not playing as a cohesive defensive unit. It's just, there are too many mistakes, and it's one of these things that. You have a game, and perfect example, the game against Philadelphia on Saturday where you take the lead in the second half and then you have one bad mistake and then everything just snowballs. Um, you know, a bad decision by Georgi Petrovic uh, to try to make a play on the corner kick. You know, he leaves his position and sure, maybe there was some obstruction with his ability to get to the ball, but it's just like... And I don't mean to be... You know, a big-time soccer expert, but it just seemed to me that if you watch that corner kick, you know, you don't go out to catch a corner kick unless you're sure you can absolutely catch it or, you know, deflect it or whatever. But it's like he goes up, the it gets caught up in traffic, and there's a header, and they score, and then moments later, they get a penalty kick and take the lead. And it's just like, that's the way it's gone for this team, that, you know, things snowball, things get from bad to worse. You know, they're giving up penalties, they're losing guys on the field. You know, had a guy, um, or had Andrew Farrell um, be shown a red card um, against NYCFC a couple of weeks ago, and it's just, um, yeah, you know, I wish I could be more positive, but it just kind of seems it's more of the same and more of the issues that they're having uh, defensively. They're not having a lot of issues offensively. You know gustavo bow's on fire he has seven goals in his last eight games you know he's playing exactly the way that you would want him to play you know and especially after the loss of buxa you know him and dylan barrero have developed a great chemistry and obviously you got carlos Heel, who's the reigning mls mvp so it's like the revolution really have not missed a beat offensively you know they've still been able to score goals they've still been able to capitalize on chances, but the defense is letting them down. And as much as Petrovic has played really well, he's also made a lot of huge mistakes recently and I think it's part of the learning process. But you know, he's also shown flashes of, you know, brilliance. You know, he played really well in that NYC game. I know that the refs lost four to two, but if he's not in goal for that game, you're giving up six or seven goals. So you know, it's it's positives, but it's also huge negatives. And it's preventing this team from kind of getting any momentum going um, in terms of making movement in the standings. You know, they're still right there in terms of the playoff chase, but, you know, they're now getting jumped by teams where it's like, you need to start piling together wins. You know, you can talk, you can talk all you want about that unbeaten streak, but it's like most of those games were ties. Most of those games you... You know, should have been able to win. You blew the games because of how poorly you played defensively or because of, you know, one big mistake. And it's just, you wish that they could kind of get it together and figure it out because this team is way too talented to be in the position that they're in. And I understand that there was a lot of, you know, stuff at the beginning of the year. Guys are coming and going on the roster, but it's like it's really no excuse for a team that has Gustavo Bo, Carlos Hill, um, and the talented players that they have. There's no excuse for them to be playing the way that they're playing. And I think they got to figure it out because it's going to start getting to the point where the Revs, like need to win games down the stretch to make the playoffs. And it's just you kind of figured this year playoffs were a given, but not the way that they're playing. So, you know, that's going to need to change the Revs take on Uh, Columbus this weekend, 7.30 start for the Revs, and then they will close out the month of July with a match at home against Toronto FC. If you take a look at the standings, you know, top seven teams make the playoffs in each conference. You know, the Revolution are are two points out of the playoff chase, uh, two points behind FC Cincinnati, Um, but then you also have teams Charlotte, is a point ahead. Is a point ahead of the Revs. Inter Miami is a point at, is is tied with the Revs, and then you have Atlanta and Chicago that are right there on the Revs' back. So it's like, you know, you have to win some games. You have to, you know, pack points. Because it's it's going to get really crazy, you know, with with the standings. If the Revs can't, you know, get some wins here and there, and I think. You know, if they're going into some of these games against teams that are good and they need to get results. And I think that's really the simplest way you can put it, that they just need results and they really need some consistency. They need to be able to get some games, get some wins in succession so they can feel good about, you know, feel better about where they are in the standings because it's really, it's not pretty to look at right now. So you know, hopefully something changes, but, you know, it really all starts with the defense and um, making sure that you're limiting the major mistakes. You keep doing what you're doing on offense. You keep giving Gustavo Bo chances to score um, because he's, you know, he's making the most of these chances lately. So the Revs really have to, you know, buckle down defensively. You know, I wish it was more, I wish it was more complicated than that, but it's just, uh, it's just simple. You got to lock down in front of the net. So moving on to the Patriots, there's a little bit of Patriot news. Obviously the, uh, news came out, I believe last week, Patriots dealing Nikhil Harry to the Chicago Bears for a seventh round pick in 2024. Um, you know, just kind of, a just, just disappointing. You know, I think it's really the the word that I would describe it as is his uh, tenure with the Patriots. You know, I think drafted came in with a lot of expectations being a first-round pick and being the type of kind of physical receiver that the Patriots really had been looking for. Um, and I think, you know, it's it's unfortunate because I think that he was drafted at a time that was You know really not conducive for his development you know if you think about when he was drafted 2019 you know tom brady's last season with the patriots and you know i think that there's a lot out there that brady had maybe checked out that year and was intending to you know leave the team after the season and you know i just think that toward the end of his patriot career he didn't always work well with younger receivers. And I think that as much as this might be difficult to hear, I think that he has a good amount to do with the issues that the Patriots have had drafting receivers um, in recent years. You know, I'm not saying that you know it's every single draft pick, but it's like I think that they're a good portion of young guys that he just didn't vibe with. And as a result, they kind of never developed. And I think... Unfortunately, Nikhil might be one of those guys, you know, he did also get hit by some bad luck, you know, getting an injury in his first NFL preseason, you know, missing the first nine, 10 weeks of the season, you know, he has to come in, learn the system and be a quality NFL receiver, you know, right after being on injured reserve for eight or nine weeks. Um, And then obviously Brady leaves. You know, you have the pandemic, you have that weird 2020 season, the Patriots bring in Cam Newton and, you know, it's just, it's not, it's not great for a young receivers development when you have a quarterback in Brady, who to me, honestly, wasn't interested in working with the younger receivers. Um, And then you bring in Cam Newton, who just obviously had his moments, but just wasn't a good enough quarterback. And then Nikhil's coming in year three and just doesn't make much of an impact and obviously make made a lot of mistakes and I think their, you know, obvious mistakes would drop passes and things like that, but I really just think his development really never got a chance to get going and the Patriots just kind of had to move on. And I think, you know, clearly his agent made the request for him to be traded last last summer. Um, so, you know, it just unfortunately Never really worked out. You know, I think at the end of the day, as this current Patriots team, it's really not a huge issue because they have a lot of talent in that receiver room. And, you know, there really just wasn't going to be a place for him. So I don't really have an issue with trading the player. You know, I think that it brings up legitimate criticisms about the Patriots and their ability or inability to develop NFL receivers. Um. But yeah, you know, I think it's just at the end of the day, it's disappointing. You know, I think you hope that Nikhil as a person can have a little bit more of a, have a little bit of a fresh start um, in Chicago working with Justin Fields and that um, offensive, in that offensive system. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's really kind of how it goes sometimes with guys who are high draft picks. They just don't work out for whatever reason. Um There are also um, just some other Patriot thoughts that I had um, over the last week. Um, James White, someone that I'm kind of not really sure about what we're going to get from him this season. You know, he's a guy coming off that hip injury in week three, I believe, against the Saints. You know, out for the season, never returned. You know, the Patriots certainly could have used someone like him, especially in the passing game. Um, But I think at this stage of his career, In this, you know, the age that he is, 34, 35, you know, hip injuries are are tough and they're difficult. And I think there's definitely an expectation that you could see him starting the season on the physically unable to perform list. And you maybe don't see him for the first, you know, portion of the season. Um, And so I think we kind of have to temper expectations for the type of player that he might be coming off that injury. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see if he is available at the start of the season, something changes, but, you know, I don't think that it's anything that we should be, okay, we're going to get the same James White that he's been in the past. Um, you know, obviously he'd be a great weapon for Mac Jones, you know, someone who could kind of be a, um, like a security blanket, if you will, you know, someone that if plays break down, you can toss it to James White and he can make a play. Um, but I think, I think it's important for us as fans to kind of understand that, okay, he's at a a challenging age for for running backs, and granted, you know, he's not in every down back, so he's not really someone that you're like, okay, you know, he's, you know, one of those over 30, over the hill running backs. You know, he's a guy that plays a specific role, and he's been really good at it, Um, but I think, you know, hip injuries are really challenging uh, for any player at any age, and I think, it's important for us to kind of temper expectations as to what we might expect from him this year. And especially I think that he might start the year not being able to play. And, you know, it's just going to be interesting to see, you know, if, and when he does return to this team as a player and, you know, who knows, maybe things behind the scenes are, are are better than what they appear, but it certainly doesn't appear that he's going to be a big part of the offense to start the year. Um, Uh, And I also think, you know, kind of continuing a theme of talking about the offense, um, I'm really excited for Mac Jones' second season. You know, I think that he's a guy that I think I have a lot of confidence in. And I think just the way that he carries himself, the way that he's worked with a lot of these guys this this offseason, you know, makes me really confident that this team can be a lot better than people think. Um, and I still think that there are people that are making more of a big, they're making a bigger deal out of the play calling than it needs to be. You know, I think that if the Patriots have a system and they know the system, you know, if people know what they're doing, there doesn't really need to be any conversation about how it's going to work. You know, I think that if players understand then that's all that matters. You know, I don't think that there's this great confusion as to, you know, who's going to be calling plays. Like you have to believe that the Patriots have something in place that they're not, you know, unprepared. You know, when have you ever known the Patriots as an organization to be unprepared? You know, it's just and I don't know, maybe it's people that you know, have an ax to grind with the team and the organization and, uh, the head coach that maybe people are trying to be like, Oh, see, it's not going to work. The coach sucks. You know, it's just like, I don't understand, you know, why people think that players are going to be confused that, you know, they're running an NFL franchise. It's like, do you really think that they the organization doesn't have a plan, and it's like I'm uh, just because they you know don't have specific titles that people want them to have. I mean it like it doesn't matter. It's literally semantics. Um, I'm just I'm not concerned about Max development. I think that he's way further along in development than I think any of us realize. Um, you know had great tutelage. Um, under Nick Saban at Alabama and I think that they're empowering him. I think that they are trying to empower him more than, you know, we think this play calling situation is going to hurt them and we don't know how it's going to play out. There are a lot of people kind of speculating about how things are going to work and I think we don't know how it's going to work until we see the team play games Um, and I think... I'm not worried about Max's ability. I'm not worried about his mental makeup. You know, he's a guy who I think is not really going to be as affected as we think he's going to be. Um, you got talented players around you. And I think he's again, got the good, got the great mental makeup that he can be a really quality NFL quarterback and, you know, put this team in a position to be successful, you know, really high on the team and the offense. Next year, you know, I really think that they have a chance to be a really elite group to um, be able to put up a lot of points so that, you know, the defense is not, you know, held to such a high standard that they need to hold teams to like 15 points a game, you know, something like that. You want to have an offense that can score. So I'm very excited to see, you know, what the offense looks like in training camp, you know, hoping to get there myself. Um, And then the preseason, you know, are there certain guys that, that surprise? And then, you know, how do they look week one? You know, this is a team, though, that historically does not come out of the gate firing on all cylinders. They typically take a little bit of time to, you know, kind of get into the swing of things. So I'm curious to see you know, how that first month goes with four games, Dolphins, Steelers, Ravens and the Packers. or the the four teams the Patriots will play to start the season. Um, Have away dates against the Dolphins and the Steelers the first two weeks, and then they're home against the Ravens on September 25th for the home opener. So training camp, I believe uh, rookies report today. I believe that veterans report in a week, and then camp opens to the public um, next Wednesday, and then the Patriots will have um, open the sessions to the public. Wednesday through Saturday of next week. So I think that probably will do it for, you know, talking about the, the local teams. Uh, we're now going to get to some NHL free agency. We're going to talk about some player movement. Um, I think we're going to start with the trades because I think those are um, kind of easier to keep track of. Um, obviously, we know about the trade the Bruins getting. Uh, Pavel Zaka from the Devils, the uh, Senators getting Cam Talbot from Minnesota in exchange for Philip Gustafson. So um, Ottawa, very active in free agency and in trades, getting Talbot. You know, Talbot's kind of on the older side, but still a solid goaltender. So I'm kind of curious what Ottawa looks like this year. They're a team that is certainly generating a lot of buzz with the trade for Alex Dobrynkit, the signing of Claude Giroux. They're definitely a team that people are um, excited about for next season. Um, Another major trade that took place on day one of free agency, the Hurricanes acquiring Brent Burns and Lane Peterson from San Jose in exchange for Steven Lawrence, um, goaltending prospect and a third round pick in 2023. So major trade here for Carolina, Carolina making it uh, very clear that they are going to try to go all in to try to win a cup. Um, you know, Brent Burns is a guy that's been a solid player throughout his career, kind of on the older side. But Carolina, I think, taking a gamble here and taking uh, Burns on a bit of a contract discount as I think the Sharks agreed to uh, take on part of his salary with the trade. So I mean, a jury's kind of out on this trade, you know, I'm kind of curious to see. What Brent Burns has but I think he fits right into what Carolina uh, likes to do offensively so I like that move in that respect Washington getting Connor Brown from Ottawa in a trade Carolina also uh, Carolina very active in the trade market on that first day um, getting Max Pacioretty and Dylan Coughlin from the Vegas Golden Knights in exchange for future considerations you could just consider this trade a salary dump trade as um you know vegas had a salary cap kind of log jam so they deal capacity to carolina and yeah carolina getting a uh, very strong um in this off season and then a couple of trades involving the pittsburgh penguins uh, the devils and penguins making a trade john marino for ty smith and a third round pick so the devil's taking john marino Penguins taking Ty Smith in a third-round pick, um, and then the Penguins making a trade for uh, Jeff Petrie and Ryan Paling from the Canadians in exchange for Mike Matheson and a fourth-round pick in 2023. So those are kind of some of the major trades that have happened. Um, and taking a look at kind of free agent tracker or taking a look at free agent signings by team um, Anaheim getting a couple of multi-year agreements with Frank Vitrano and Ryan Strom. So kind of interesting deals there for Anaheim as they kind of try to continue their rebuild. Um, you know, Frank Vitrano always liked uh, when he played for the Bruins, a bit of a local guy from Longmeadow. So, uh, really exciting for him. Played, uh, part of last season with the Rangers played really well in their playoff, uh, in their playoff run. So he goes to Anaheim, Ryan Strom also, uh, from the Rangers, goes to the Devils for a five-year contract. Um, Bruins, obviously, making those um, kind of two-way contracts official. Um, I'm trying to look at some other moves. Carolina, obviously, with the trades, they signed Andre Kasha to a one-year deal. The Blackhawks signing Max Domi, Colin Blackwell, and... Um, Andreas Athanasiu to contract, so uh, Blackhawks bring in a couple of guys. The Avalanche reaching agreements with some um, returning players. Uh, Josh Manson on a four-year deal. Um, Arturi Lekanen on a five-year deal. So they get both of those guys returned. Uh, the Blue Jackets making kind of the big, kind of surprising move of the offseason signing. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau to a seven-year deal. I was kind of surprised that the Blue Jackets came in um, to sign him. So uh, Gaudreau goes to Columbus. You know, I'm kind of not sure about this move. I don't really know if Columbus is really in a position to compete, but, you know, who knows? Gaudreau's a fantastic player and, you know, has a, has a great ability to make guys around him better. So, you know, who knows? They could outperform expectations, but... Uh, kind of juries, juries kind of still out on that move. Um, Mason Marchment signing a four-year deal with the Stars. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings were also incredibly active in free agency. Signing forwards, Andrew Kopp, uh, Dominic Kubalik, and David Perron. And then also bringing in. Uh, Ben Sherratt on a four-year deal, and Ali Mata on a one-year deal. So Detroit very clearly going for it in free agency with a couple of big contracts. So it'll be interesting to see what they look like next year. Um, Edmonton bringing back um, Evander Kane, signing um, Jack Campbell, formerly of the Leafs to a five-year deal. So he's the new goalie in Edmonton. Edmonton, you know, gets their goalie. I'm not really sure if it's the right goalie. Jack Campbell obviously was outstanding for the uh, Leafs at times last year, but did not have a good playoff series against Tampa. So I'm not really sure if this is the correct goaltender for them to sign, but then again, the goaltending market was pretty thin this year. So, you know, kind of be curious to see. I mean, I think with this team, it's all about goaltending and defense. You know what they have with McDavid and Dreisaitl. Um, You know it's really just all about the defense and goaltending. Can they get um, that to be good enough that makes them, you know, even even stronger uh, Stanley Cup contender? Um, taking a look at some other teams that were that were active. The Devils signing uh, Andre Palat to a five-year contract. Uh, The Rangers giving a seven-year deal to Vincent Trocek, um, also giving a one-year deal to Jaroslav Halak. So the Trocek deals is interesting. You know, I think the cap hit is not all that bad, Um, but I think giving him seven years is definitely not something I would have done. I mean, I think you look at... uh, It's not that he's not a good player, it's just he kind of does have an injury history and, you know, seven-year deals. It's very risky to be signing guys to, you know, signing guys to deals that are that long in in length um, because, kind of, you don't really know what kind of player they're going to be toward the end of that. And, you know, teams kind of end up taking a gamble and it often doesn't pay off. But, you know, Trocek's a good player. You know, I think he'll fit, fit in really well Uh, with the Rangers and with their coaching staff, with Gerard Gallant, as he's uh, familiar with him from his time with the Panthers. So, you know, I like the move. I just think the Rangers may regret this move in four years. Um, Ottawa, obviously, as we said, giving Claude Giroux a three-year deal. Uh, Josh Norris also signed an eight-year extension uh, to stay with the Senators. So they are probably the most interesting team um, going into are kind of most interesting team based on their off-season activity. Um, the Philadelphia Flyers bringing back Justin Braun, signing Nick DeLaurier for a four-year deal. Um, you know, Pittsburgh bringing back Malkin. It was, you know, rumored that he was going to test free agency, but the Penguins did come to agreement with him. Um, so he returns on a four-year deal. They gave Jan Ruta a three-year deal as well. The Sharks giving contracts to Oscar Lindblom uh, and Nico Sturm. And then they also signed Luke Cunning and uh, Capo or and uh Kackinen, the goaltender. Um, and then let's see Seattle making some moves. Andre Burkovsky gets a five year deal. Uh, Carson Kuhlman signed a new contract with them, former Bruins player. Um, and Justin Schultz agreeing to a two-year deal with the Kraken. The St. Louis Blues bringing in Noel Achari on a one-year deal. I don't have anything else to say about that. A Nicoletti, a four-year deal uh, for the Blues. And then Tampa Bay signing Vladislav Nemesnikov, a former Lightning player, so he returns. Ian Cole also signing a one-year deal there as well. The Maple Leafs were fairly active, uh, signing Ilya Samsonov to a one-year deal and gave Kali Yarncrook a four-year deal. Um, Nicholas Obey-Kugel, Pierre Engvall, Adam gaudet they also signed as well. The Vancouver Canucks coming to terms with Curtis Lazar, former Bruins forward, um, and then they signed Ilya of currently or formerly of the uh, Maple Leafs, and then Vegas re-signed Riley Smith, and then Washington making a bevy of moves, giving a, a one-year deal to Marcus Johansson, um and then another one-year deal for Dylan Strom, and then they gave five years to uh, Darcy Kemper. So major goaltending signing there. And there are some uh, restricted free agents that could potentially get offer sheets. Uh, Jason Robertson, one of them, and uh, Matt Kachuk also is another name to watch as he could potentially get uh, an offer sheet. and. I think the, um, he's also filing for uh, sil- salary arbitration as well. Um, so that's just kind of some of the big moves in NHL free agency. We're going to get to uh, talking about some, some baseball. Obviously, the All-Star break is here. Home run derby was last night. All-Star game is tonight in Los Angeles. Uh, Juan Soto with the... Uh, home run or winning the home run derby Um, and then also there was a news that came out a couple of days ago that he um, declined the Nationals offer of 15 years and 440 million Um, so it seems like the Nationals are going to be looking to trade him um, in the near future it was also announced yesterday that the uh, the all-star game will be decided by the home run derby if the game is tied after nine innings so if the nation, So if the game ends tied, or if the game ends and the game is tied, then the National League would, would win based on uh, Juan Soto winning the Home Run Derby. He beat Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners in the Home Run Derby last night. Pretty exciting. Uh, pretty exciting uh, Home Run Derby to watch. I think it's great the kind of different format that they've done with the timed events. Um, the home run derby has definitely become a lot more of uh, a fun event to watch. I think with some of the, you know, up and coming guys, some of the superstar superstars in the game that, you know, do do the home run derby, and it's a really exciting thing to watch. Um, it was cool to see Albert Pujols uh, compete last night. You know, one of my uh, favorite baseball players of all time retiring at the end of the season. Uh, it was just cool to see him compete and see the. Uh, Tremendous respect that uh, everyone has for him with all the the All-Stars and the guys competing last night. Um, Taking a look at what we have for the standings at the All-Star break, obviously the Yankees are leading the pack um, in Major League Baseball and in the AL East. 13 game lead over Tampa Bay in second place. Uh, the Red Sox currently at 48 and 45, 16 and a half games back of first place, um, currently in fourth place in the division. Uh, Baltimore obviously ripped off 10 or 11 straight wins, so they are at 500. They're kind of breathing down the Red Sox neck, unfortunately. Um, in the American League Central, Minnesota still leading by two games over Cleveland and three games over Chicago. Uh, Houston leads in the American League West by nine games now, as Seattle has won 14 straight games, which is pretty remarkable. I think they're a couple wins shy of their team record. Um, so Seattle has played great baseball recently with uh, 14 straight wins. Um, over in the National League, the Mets with uh, just a two-and-a-half game lead over the Braves Um, In the National League Central, Milwaukee leads by half a game over the Cardinals, and then the Dodgers lead by 10 games in the National League West. Uh, Taking a look at the wild card, you have Tampa Bay in the top position, followed by Seattle and Toronto. The Red Sox are two games back of that final wild card spot. Cleveland is two games back, and Baltimore and Chicago are three and a half back. In the National League, the Braves are in the top position, Uh, The Padres in second, and then Philadelphia and St. Louis are tied uh, for the third and final wildcard spot with the Giants. Just a half game back, so things can get very interesting um, in both wildcard races there. Over in the NBA, uh, Summer League wrapped up with Portland uh, winning the Summer League title. And... Let's see, Kelton Johnson got a rookie-scale extension with the Spurs, so the Spurs keeping him around. Um, DeAndre Ayton obviously got uh, an offer sheet from the Pacers that the Suns chose to match and sign. So he'll be in Phoenix um, four years, $132 million, I believe. So, you know, I'm kind of curious what that means in terms of Kevin Durant. You know, I thought that maybe would Phoenix possibly flip um, DeAndre Aiden, but it doesn't really seem like that's going to happen. So, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure about uh, Durant's landing spots. You know, obviously, I haven't heard uh, anything further about him or Kyrie. Um, you know, I think the latest I heard from Brian Windhorst was um, the Nets may not be in a position to trade Durant because maybe they perhaps they have not found a trade package that they deem to be good enough, which... You know, is, it's it's interesting because it's like, you know, Durant is such a tremendous player that, you know, you want to get a great package, but at the same time, like, they're pro- you know, you're probably, you know, you're motivated to move him, but you obviously don't want to move him for anything less than he's worth. So... You know, I don't think we're going to see a resolution with this anytime in the near future. Um, You know, Kyrie's situation, I think, is a little bit more complex. Um, But it's going to be very interesting to see if anything happens with both of these guys, Um, and if the Nets move them, and, you know, what kind of offers can they get? Because, clearly, they've not gotten anything that they've liked enough. So it would be interesting to pay attention to that. The NFL training camps get underway next week. Obviously, we talked about the Patriots with rookies reporting today, veterans reporting um, next week. So I'm hoping to make my way out there to Patriots training camp. I'll let you guys know um, if you also want to go down there um, and you can say hello. So I think I think I'll probably do it uh, for for this week's episode really looking forward to uh guest friday later this week i'll post an announcement at some point in the next two days before we reveal what our plans are for guest friday we're really looking forward to that um all right everyone you can always uh follow or don't forget to follow the social pages on twitter and on facebook and you can always listen on apple podcasts and on spotify you can uh follow on spotify you can uh Drop a review, a rating on Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate that. Um, so I think that that'll do it. Everyone, enjoy the rest of your week. Stay cool. The heat wave is is real, so please make sure you're staying cool. You're staying safe um, out there. All right, everyone. We'll talk to you on Guest Friday.